0: You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, it's great to be with all of you this morning, especially on this World Communion Sunday as Pastor Leslie spoke about during the life of the church. This week, we're also continuing in a series that's going to take us all the way through the fall up to Advent where each week we are visiting another story from the scriptures that tell the story of God's love and God's life being lived out through the ordinary names and the ordinary lives of ordinary people, of people much like us. So today we turn our attention once more to a story about two people, two women. A few weeks ago we visited two women, Shifra and Puha, and this week we turn our attention to two other women who come later In the biblical story, these two women's names are Ruth and Naomi. So let us continue, or let us listen now for a word from God as we hear these opening verses to the story of Ruth. The book of Ruth, chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. The scripture reads In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and their two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. When they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, so that the woman was left with her, without rather her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return, Naomi did, with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and he had given them food. Remember, they had fled first from a famine. So Naomi set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. And then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. And then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, Ruth clung to her. So Naomi said to her, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said to Naomi, do not press me to leave you. Or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well. If even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more to her friends the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God will you join me in prayer let us pray good and gracious God we have come from all points north and south east and west to gather here and so we pray that you would go with us in this moment in the minutes that are ahead We pray, O God, that through your spirit, you would come and draw near once more to our very hearts, to our very souls. Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I suppose we should get one thing straight right off the bat, which is that Ruth and Naomi have absolutely no business being together. The laundry list of reasons for why that is so is about a mile high. For one thing, we of course meet Naomi as an older woman who no longer has any living husband or sons which in the ancient world is the same as saying we meet this woman who has no ability to provide wealth or security to anyone who is with her. And not only that, but of course we have Naomi and Ruth, two women in this hyper-patriarchal society. As a sidebar, it's interesting that the book of Ruth is really the only story in all of the Bible where not only are all of the main characters, but practically every character in the story is a woman. Even when Naomi tries to send Ruth and Orpah back to their home, she says, Go back to your mother's house. We're accustomed to reading people saying, Go back to your father's house, because that would have been the custom. So we have age, we have gender. But perhaps topping the list is this issue of ethnicity in the story. Over and over, the Moabiteness of Ruth's, or rather, Naomi's two daughter in laws is lifted up. If you keep reading the story, and Ruth is a great story to just go home and read from start to finish, it will take you 12 minutes, maybe. It's a short story. But when you turn to the part of the story that comes after where we just finished, over and over, Ruth is not simply spoken of as Ruth. The narrator of the story constantly says, Ruth, the Moabite. You see, the Moabite and Jewish people by this time in history have long been at odds with one another. They're combative even with one another. And yet here we have this Moabite woman traveling with this Israelite woman i mean i think that there's a valid question as we read this story that in naomi's mind that perhaps ruth's presence with her going back to judah might represent more of a burden than a blessing right because what's going to happen is naomi's going to get back to bethlehem her home place where now the famine has ended And she's going to have this Moabite daughter-in-law in in tow with her. And you can almost hear some of the whispering amongst the neighbors behind her back. Did you see who Naomi has living with her now? A Moabite? What? I mean, there's so many reasons that Naomi and Ruth have no business being together. And yet their story is one of the foremost stories in all of the Bible of true relationship. On communion Sunday, maybe we would even say true communion, holy communion between two people. Where you go, I will go. Your people, my people. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God, my God. I mean, there is this deep and abiding sense throughout this story of mutuality. Right here, these two women go out and the whole rest of the story is about how God's promises and purposes are made to come fruition to fruition through them despite the fact that they should not be together at all. Now, I think it's fair to say that we are all living in a time where those kinds of holy partnerships, holy communion between two people, that kind of relationship is often all but dried up and left for dead. Let me give you an example. I made a mistake this week. I turned on a presidential debate. (laughs) It doesn't matter your party, right? This week it was the Republicans, it'll be the exact same with the Democrats is just a stage full of people who are shouting at one another. Saying all kinds of words without actually saying much of anything. Saying all of these words and seemingly not a single other person on the stage actually hearing a single one of them. It was this sort of perfect uh, illustration of the world in which we live. This us versus them world. This my way or the highway kind of mentality. It's funny, though, because I had that experience, and then I also had this completely opposite experience this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was with a group of clergy up in Asheville and Black Mountain. And as part of our time together, uh, we went around and we visited these uh, different uh, mission outreach sites in those communities. And one of the places that we went and spent a few hours was this homeless advocacy organization right in downtown Asheville. And I love the tagline for this group. Their tagline is relationships above all else. Relationships above all else. Their director came and uh, spoke to us. And one of the things he said is that uh, the mission of that organization is to subvert this us versus them mentality that we're all living with. And the way that they do that is by inviting everyone who comes into their building. Everyone who their ministry touches. What they do is they invite everyone, no matter whether you're an unhoused person or a volunteer or someone in between, to have an experience of both preparing the table and also sitting at the table. right? If you come to communion, in other words, everyone's going to take a turn serving. If you come to a meal, a volunteer may be working next to someone who doesn't have a meal but is going to be serving it together to everyone who comes and sits at the table. Relationships above everything. Gosh. You know, that would be a really good tagline for, I don't know, the church? Relationships above everything. Later today, uh, back in the... um, large private dining room. We're going to continue our new officer training. Some of you were there last week. These are our newly elected deacons and elders who are uh, preparing to begin uh, terms of service as uh, the spiritual leaders of this congregation. And I'm always acutely aware in there that, you know, we're going really fast and really far. uh, And it's hard for everyone to capture all that information, especially after we eat a lunch that Pano has prepared. And by like the end of the first hour, we're all kind of half asleep because we've been at church and then we've had this delicious food and we're sitting in what is often a warm-ish room. But I always tell them, you know, if you take nothing else away from this training, I hope that you'll take two things. One, I hope that you will know the people who you are serving with. I want you to learn the names and the stories of those who are in the room with you. But the other thing I want all of our officers to know is that in the church, There's no lone wolves, especially in the Presbyterian church. No one gets to just say, this is how we do it. In our tradition, we do things together. We make decisions together. right? It's emblematic of this reality that the Christian life is one that places relationships above everything else. The Christian life cannot be a solitary one. To say that I'm a Christian and I don't really need to know anyone else. That's antithesis to what it means, antithetical to what it means to actually be a Christian. When we come to church, what we are doing is being in community with other people. And the amazing thing about that is sometimes the people who we find ourselves in community with, the people who God calls us to partner with, a lot like Ruth and Naomi in this story, they are people who we have this whole laundry list of reasons that we should have nothing to do with them at all. You want me to serve with this person? Do you hear what they just said they believe? You want me to serve with this person? They have no idea what my life is like. And yet in the Christian community, we model what is modeled for us here in this story. We say we can be made stronger by being together. Even if you're a Moabite and I'm an Israelite. Church places relationships above everything else. I suppose in a lot of ways, um, World Communion Sunday is kind of the perfect recognition of that aspiration. Right? This Sunday each year when we gather and we break bread and we remind ourselves that we're breaking bread with people and countries all across the world. But the reality that I don't want us to lose sight of is that you don't actually have to cross an ocean or a border in order to live by the lessons that World Communion Sunday is seeking to lift up. Right, the whole where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge, that can begin right here, right now. I mean, take your pick. Turn to the person next to you or across the aisle you don't know after worship today, say hello. Hello. I'd love to get to know what your life is like. (laughs) Come to Wednesday nights. Do the same thing around the table. Sign up for our day of service coming up. Right? We can keep going. Come to our Thursday meal ministry. Help to prepare and serve a meal. But I hope, too, you'll go and you'll sit with one of our unhoused neighbors here in downtown Spartanburg. Those are all things that all of us can do. But there's actually something even simpler each of us can do to take the first step in trying to live a life like the one we are called to live. And the thing that we can do is just come to the table. Just come today to the table. I was with um, another group a few weeks ago, and uh, there's a person some of us know um, because he's been here, actually, Craig Barnes. Uh, Craig is the just recently retired president of Princeton Theological Seminary, before that, he served for a number of years as the senior pastor of Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you read the sidebar in your bulletin today, you'll notice that World Communion Sunday actually originated out of that congregation, that Shadyside Church. Craig uh, shared a story with us when we were together, though, uh, those weeks ago. He was saying, you know, there was... A year when I was uh, the pastor at Shadyside, uh, when I was invited to preach on the island of Cyprus. Uh, It was a gathering being put together by the World Council of Churches. And they invited me to come and be a part of this whole thing. And I preached at this tiny little Anglican church um, somewhere on the outskirts of some town on Cyprus. So, So I get up there, I preach, and then afterwards we're doing the whole fellowship hour thing. And I end up getting into a conversation with the priest of this tiny little parish And I start to explain to him how wonderful it is to be with him and his congregation on World Communion Sunday and how, you know, my church back home were the ones who actually originated this whole idea, this whole Sunday. And he's talking to this priest and this guy just has like a blank, confused look on his face. Like, what are you talking about? So Craig says, you know, World Communion Sunday where we all break bread and, you know, we did communion here today. My church is doing communion back at home. It actually was the first Sunday in October. It was World Communion Sunday. And so the guy is like really confused. And finally he says to Craig, he says, isn't every Sunday World Communion Sunday? And Craig had like one of these, oh no, kind of moments. Because he realized in that moment that here was another example of a well-meaning American group of people, these Americans back at Shadyside Presbyterian, they came up with this great idea for the whole world to celebrate. The only problem was they forgot to tell the rest of the world that they were invited to be a part of it as well. I love that story because I think that's kind of how each of us come to the table every communion Sunday, right? And we all come to this table after a week of moments like this. Oh, I did that again. I said that again. right? We all come with this brokenness. We all come with these shortcomings where we fell short of the disciples we know Christ calls us to be. We have this whole laundry list of reasons for why God should have nothing to do with us. And yet every time we come to this table, we are reminded that God chooses, God chooses to be in relationship with us. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? God doesn't actually need us, but God chooses us. God chose to come in the form of this tiny little baby born in the town that Ruth and Naomi go back to from Moab, that little town of Bethlehem. God chooses to be with us. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge, God says. I notice sometimes when we come forward that none of us really know what to say in that moment. Where someone offers us the basket of bread and they say the body of Christ broken for you. And then we shift to the left and we dip that bread in the cup. And the person holding the cup says the cup of salvation or Christ's blood shed for you. I notice oftentimes many of us, we just don't really know what do you even say to that? right? What do we say to the incredible good news that this table represents? This amazing news that tells us that God chooses to go with us. That whenever we try and get away from God, God, I'm going back home. It's nice knowing you. God says, I'm coming with you. What do we say to good news like that? I think the answer is actually kind of simple. And I want to give it to you. Because really there's only four words that any of us can really say. Not only at the table, but also out there beyond these walls as we go about our lives and we encounter these moments where we find ourselves in relationship with people and we discover God is up to something new in that partnership. There's really only four words that any of us can muster that even come close to capturing what it is we feel. And those four words are thanks be to God. The body of Christ broken for you. The cup of salvation. Thanks be to God. Friends, that work of following in the example of Ruth and Naomi, it can begin today. That work may take you to Cuba or the DR or to other places, but we can start that work today by coming and being nourished yet again by the good news that we have a partner in Christ, that even now Christ says to each of us, where you go, I will go. Where you call home, I will call home. Where your life takes you, my life goes with you. What else is there left to say other than thanks be, God. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Thanks be to God indeed for your love of God. Your love that has come in the form in the form of a person just like us and yet a person who is nothing like us. Your son Jesus Christ. God, may our lives be one big thank you to the grace and mercy which we are nourished by each and every day as we taste this bread and we sip from this cup and are sent out into the world to be partners with you in all that we do. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.